0: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh onecom Kortul Tato al Hori Hori Tene. He hotaka e panaki te te o te You're with our changing world on RNZ. I'm Alison Balance, and now, asteroids. World Asteroid Day is on the 30th of June, so it's a good time to reflect on things buzzing around in space. Earlier this month, for example, two small asteroids slammed into the Earth's atmosphere and burned up on entry. These events are often a complete surprise so NASA was pleased to report that one of them was actually detected a few hours before impact, and astronomers were able to plot its course and predict when it would hit. Neither of these asteroids was large enough to do any damage, but that possibility is certainly something that NASA and United States agencies have been thinking about quite a lot. Just last week, they released a National Near-Earth Object Preparedness Strategy and Action Plan, which is quite a mouthful, but is basically about being better prepared to deal with asteroids that come too close for comfort. New Zealand astronomer Duncan Steele has spent much of his career thinking about potential asteroid impacts, and William Ray tracks him down to find out more.
1: If you're driving south down State Highway 1 towards Kaikoura, you'll cross a small bridge just before you get to the boundary between Marlborough and Canterbury. That bridge spans Woodside Creek, And if you wander along that creek for five or six hundred metres, you'll see a very strange-looking cliff. Well, the cliff itself isn't that strange. What's weird is what's been done to it. It has dozens of holes drilled into it at regular intervals. Dr Duncan Steele was studying physics at Canterbury Museum at the time those holes were drilled back in 1977, and what came out of them inspired his life's work.
2: Back in 1980, there was a seminal paper published uh, by a team in the US, which I guess was the first real push forward in terms of the idea uh, that an asteroid or comet impact wiped out the dinosaurs in a mass extinction event 65 million years ago. That idea came from data collected in the geological strata in three different locations, one in Denmark, one in Italy, and one here in New Zealand. Very few people seem to know that unless they're actually geologists.
1: That's what those holes in the cliff at Woodside Creek are. The rocks in that cliff span the KPG boundary, the point at which the age of the dinosaurs suddenly ends. Samples taken at Woodside Creek and all around the world show a thin layer of iridium right on the boundary. Iridium is an element that's very rare on Earth, but relatively common in asteroids and comets, so the theory ever since 1980 has been that the extinction of the dinosaurs was largely caused by a massive object hitting the Earth from outer space.
2: At the time I was here in New Zealand, I was a, a graduate student at the University of Canterbury, I was building a radar for studying meteors. Now meteors are a synonym for shooting stars, so the, the things you see with your eye at night, but with a radar, we can detect much smaller or fainter ones, if you like. And I just realized that there must be, OK, there were lots we were detecting with this radar or lots you see with your naked eye at night. Uh, and every so often something really huge has hit the Earth. We know that from the dinosaur extinction and other extinction events. But I realized that there must be some in between which hit the Earth not frequently enough to be uh, a daily or yearly um, a problem as such, but maybe you know, frequently enough such that we do need to be thinking about them and concerned about
1: them. Since the 1980s, Duncan Steele has been involved in various efforts to discover and track comets and asteroids which pose a risk to Earth. He was one of six foreign members of NASA's Space Guard Committee in the early 90s and has twice served as Vice President of the Space Guard Foundation, which helps coordinate detection and tracking of potentially dangerous objects in the solar system. He's also written several books on the subject. These days, Dr Steele works for the government-run Centre for Space Science Technology in Alexandra. Ironically, it's one of the few jobs he's had which has nothing to do with comets or asteroids. But he's still involved in the field and says it's a constant struggle to get people to take the risk from asteroids and comets seriously.
2: We often talked about this thing, calling, calling it the giggle factor, because when you suggest to people that asteroids are dangerous, you know, their immediate response is, well, that's just nonsense. When, when, when was the last person killed by an asteroid? One of my answers to that, I mean, I've got various answers. One of them is, well, you know, hydrogen bombs, fusion bombs or thermonuclear weapons, as they're called. They're clearly they're dangerous. And yet they've never been used in anger. The, the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki with the old um, call them atomic bombs, they're fission bombs using uranium and plutonium. And so it, it, clearly it's invalid to say well they're not dangerous
1: uh, and laugh about them. These things clearly are dangerous. The object which wiped out the dinosaurs was about 10 kilometres across but asteroids don't have to be that big to cause widespread devastation. In 1908 an object about 100 metres across exploded above Siberia, the famous Tunguska event. It flattened 2,000 square kilometres of forest but luckily no people were anywhere near the spot at the time.
2: If it happened above Auckland it would kill nearly every body in auckland that's just the reality it would set the whole city on fire and the blast wave would would level the place and these things do hit the earth every so often it's uncertain how often they hit the earth is it once per century is it once per thousand years we don't know but it's somewhere in that sort of ballpark figure and with more and more people now on the earth and and people concentrated in cities you know unfortunately that the chance of this sort of thing happening is something we need to be cautious about
1: where are we at with the sort of percentages of objects that size being tracked. I mean, not the not the really giant ones, but the ones that could cause really significant damage on the scale of a city or even a, you know, a small country.
2: The problem with these smaller asteroids, let's say 50 to 100 metres in size, is that uh, we can only really detect them uh, when they come close enough to the Earth for our telescopes t- to get enough light from them uh, to pick them up. And that needs them to be within you know, a few times the distance to the moon. And they don't come back to be that close to the Earth very often. Uh, certainly, we fa- we, if you like, we found most of the easier ones. You know, objects bigger than one kilometre in size, we could detect even though um, they're out past the orbit of Mars uh, because they're reflecting enough sunlight back to us such that we can detect them with our telescopes. So there's only so much we can do. Um, you know, sensibly, I think we have the... Capability to discover objects and track them, probably getting to ninety percent levels of the population of of Earth-crossing asteroids down to about let's say four or five hundred, six hundred meters in size. If we want to go down to smaller objects than that, so to the fifty and hundred meter objects, we're going to need uh, bigger telescopes. They've they've got to be these peculiar wide-field telescopes, and there's only one uh, telescope in the world which is suitable for that. It's a telescope developed by. Barber, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency in, in the US a few years ago. Last I heard, it was being moved to Australia, to the Northwest Cape, where it was going to be used for tracking um, space junk especially, but it, it will pick up lots of asteroids.
1: So really, it's, I mean, it's conceivable that an object that big could hit us with virtually no warning. Well, oh, William, it's not just conceivable, it's the most likely thing to happen. That's a bit grim but the relative risk from a city destroying asteroid is pretty low given how infrequently they hit the earth. What really keeps Dr Duncan Steele up at night is smaller objects.
2: You know the thing which I if if you like I worry about most is something like a, a half or one megaton event occurring over a region when there's heightened international tension and the people who are there don't understand what it is and react to that by launching an attack upon a neighbor
1: which is um, unwarranted the kind of asteroid dr Steele is talking about would only measure tens of meters across and we've actually seen an object that size strike just a few years ago at chelyabinsk in russia
0: it came
2: out of nowhere A bright speck in the sky, soon streaking across the horizon, followed by an almost apocalyptic scene, a blinding flash of light, and then all hell broke loose. 1,200 people were hospitalized. Uh, Thankfully, nobody uh, was actually killed, but there was an awful lot of uh, injuries from the blast wave knocking people over and also blasting out uh, glass in in factories and and schools and, and, and cutting People with the flying glass. So these things do happen, um,
1: unfortunately. So what can we do about all this? Let's start on the personal level.
2: If you do ever see anything in the night sky, or indeed the dayside sky, which is brighter than the sun, take cover. Tens of seconds or a few minutes later, the blast wave is coming. Get behind a wall, get away from windows and, and, and so on. We were talking about Chelyabinsk. There was a primary school teacher who saw the flash out of the primary school windows and had the fantastic presence of mind to tell all the kids to get underneath their desks. Two minutes later, all those windows blasted out. Um, You know, there there would have been kids badly, badly cut if if she hadn't done that.
1: Having said that, it all sounds very melodramatic. You know,
2: the overwhelming odds are you're never going to experience
1: that. And when it comes to the bigger stuff... Well, diffusing international tensions might be a good start to make sure there are no unfortunate misunderstandings when there's a 10 megaton blast over North Korea. Otherwise, Dr Steele says early warning is key. We've already heard that the world's detection systems have a blind spot when it comes to objects less than one kilometre in size. But if we do spot something big coming our way, what can we do to stop it? It's something Hollywood has been thinking about for a while and inevitably they come up with one answer. It's what we call a global killer, the end of mankind. We nuke this thing from the inside. Ah, we drill. We bring in the world's best. The fallback
2: would be, unfortunately, using a nuclear weapon. Uh, But there have been other ways um, suggested. For example, it could be as simple as painting the thing black or painting it white. Uh, You could say, well, how do you do that? Am, Am I joking? Well, no. In fact, changing the surface properties of an object can make a difference in terms of the way in which if you like sunlight pushes upon that particular object and for some size objects that is a feasible way of diverting it as long as we had a great deal of warning so if we had 23 years warning that might be a viable way or indeed just putting down a rocket booster and giving it a bit of a nudge. I like to use 23 years as being an example because if you multiply 23 years the number of seconds in 23 years by a speed of one centimetre per second just one centimetre per second you find the total number of centimetres which you will move an object is equivalent to the Earth's radius plus 400 kilometres, which means that if you did change an object's speed by one centimetre per second, 23 years out, uh, then you would be able to get it to miss the Earth.
1: Of course, it's much more likely that none of this will be necessary, and Duncan Steele's asteroid and comet research isn't all about death and destruction. There are lots of beneficial side effects of searching for potentially world-destroying objects.
2: We're exploring the solar system. We're realising that there are lots of things in the solar system which previously we had very little idea about, and that's exciting in itself. Yes, it does uh, raise the, 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 the idea that these things can be hazardous to us, um, but there are also lots of positive things to think about them. There are two large companies now in the US which are planning to mine asteroids. Um, and you could say, well, isn't this, you know, bunk science fiction nonsense? Well, well, the answer is no. You know, this is something which is a viable thing to do, not too far into the future. It may be still 15 or 20 years away, but as we move off the planet and we still want to start building Um, bigger habitats in space maybe space colonies eventually we need the building materials to make those out of and and asteroids and comets are chock-a-block full of those things we can't keep launching things off the surface of the earth because it is so expensive to to hoist something up into earth orbit and then out into into interplanetary space so we need the raw materials out there to build things with we need water in order for you know, astronauts to drink and wash with. We can derive the oxygen from the water in order for them to be able to breathe. And comets are chock a block full of this stuff. Asteroids, we know, are full of all sorts of different uh, rare and precious uh, minerals and metals and so on. And so these things are the things which we will be using a, a,
1: as uh, sources of raw materials in the future. And Duncan Steele says there are even more fundamental reasons to be interested in these objects. Uh, You and I are
2: largely made of material which was deposited on the early Earth by comets. Uh, The early Earth was was very, very hot, and so we believe it had, in essence, no water, no organic chemicals. We believe that those have been delivered to the Earth by comet and asteroid impacts, especially over the first few hundred million years since the Earth formed about four and a half billion years ago. So we've got a special interest, I guess, for for studying them and, and wanting to know more about them.
0: Thanks, Duncan. That was astronomer Duncan Steele, who is Chief Systems Architect at the Centre for Space Science Technology. He also has minor planet 4713 Steele named after him, as well as a lunar roving robot in an Arthur C. Clarke novel. That story was produced by William Ray. I'm Alison Balance, and this Hour Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ National on the 28th of June, 2018. Our web page is rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. You can find all our stories there and sign up for our weekly email newsletter as well. If you'd like to subscribe to us as a podcast, we are in all the usual places. Apple Podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public. RNZ has a new murder mystery podcast series, Gone Fishing. It comes with the tagline, Mayhem Murder. Maybe check it out. We are RNZ Science on Facebook and Twitter. Do stay in touch. Thanks for your company. Bye for now. Matewa.